This is not an expert podcast. a little chilly a little crisp um i'm gonna have apple cider out of our yeah. fox mug i think Ooh. out of pabu um fucking pabu fucking pabu uh once uh, we get back with that grocery order yeah so favorite season autumn 100 percent. Mm. what about you michael fall Autumn, the same thing. No, it's autumn. Say it like a pretentious white girl or don't say it at all. <laughs> what about you, Kevin? Uh, what show? What's your favorite uh, season? Of what show? Of what show? What show? Uh, the world. <laughs> of Damn. Earth. Of uh, Earth. I'm going to say the... <laughs> mm, I don't of know. the Gilmore Girls reunion, <laughs> Seasons in the Life. <laughs> Or a year in the life, their reunion, because oh, they yeah. sort them by a uh, season, by the way. So one is like spring, one is summer, one is autumn, well, one is fall. Ooh, boom, I know, and that's it. Those are pretentious white girls. They're like... How dare they not call it autumn? How dare they? Yeah. And then winter. So what's your true, favorite true. season? Yeah, you still didn't answer it. <laughs> You're just avoiding it. Uh, probably, probably fall or winter. Mm. Nice. Winter? Yeah. Finter. I think you mean, uh, inter. So it seems like a cloudy day <laughs> is like all, is like pretty good for all of us, it seems like. Right? Well, in Colorado, it's not just like cloudy during the autumn, but um, all the trees are like these vibrant colors. And it is that way to some extent here too. But yeah, I it, do like uh, cloudy days. It changes a little bit later. So yeah. we should go to Asheville when it is like so i don't know there's like a specific date that they have like you know it's like oh this is the week that the trees are gonna turn mm-hmm. so you remember that wine yard mm-hmm. we should go to that one um, bet you that would be so nice i bet you it would additionally here's a fun fact about dev he says wine yard instead of vineyard because he pronounces the v as a w and that's all I just wanted to let you know that it took me a really long time to figure that out. And I was like, Dev, it says a vineyard. Like, why do you, where are you getting wine yard from? And then I was like, oh, if you just pronounce the V like a W, it does say wine yard. I thought that was an Indian thing. So I know a lot of, like, Indian people that pronounce the Vs as Ws. Well, that's very racist. Michael, how did I not know that you were this racist? <laughs> That was, thought, that was a question. I just thought it was an Indian thing, and I know a lot of Indian people, so I definitely am relatable as a All source. Right, my bad. <laughs> Do other people save the V's as W's? Russians, primarily. I don't know any Russians, and so Germans. I can't speak on that. There we go. Germans. Yeah. It's a very not American thing, then. <laughs> um, there's uh, this podcast I've been listening to that I said no gifts one that I was talking to yeah. you about um, and it's by it, its host is Bridger Weiniger uh-huh. um, but his last name is spelled like vinegar but it's Weiniger like that's how you say his last name <laughs> yeah oh, and it, it's German like the butzes you mean the butts it's the butzes they were so disrespected that whole episode uh, such a good family well, I mean, like, um, if it's literally the same exact spelling, like, come on. It's a big bummer that we finished that trash TV, and 
transitioning into even bigger bummers. I know. Uh, this is not an expert podcast. Oh, so soon. Uh, fresh, uh, hot off the press, unfortunately. Fresh. Some very recent events fresh out the have wound. transpired. And the reason I want to get to it is because I do want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, our queen, our hero, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, today is Kevin's episode, but I just really want to monologue for a little bit about, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, that uh, we suffered a huge loss last night. Um, this is the day after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing. We're recording on September 19th. Uh, mm-hmm. I know this won't be released until a couple of days later, but September 18th, uh, sometime in the evening, I believe, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away due to complications with cancer. Um, and, I mean... As I as we say every episode, go vote. It's the most important thing that you can do. Um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg is a perfect example of a real champion for social issues um, regarding to, I mean, specifically women, women's reproductive health, women's rights in general. Um, I mean, she's done a lot in other marginalized communities, but. Um, I really do want to say that, like, if you are a person of color, a marginalized community in the least, I mean, basically, if you're anything but a straight white male, it is so, so, so important that you vote so that way they can hear that there's more than just one of us and that we do drown out the bigots. We There are more of us than there are people who are racist and misogynistic and Idiots, You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg spent her entire life building a place where we can speak and be heard. And truthfully, I don't think it's terribly off base to say that if we don't vote, this might be the last chance y'all have to vote. We all have to vote. And so we need to make sure that we're heard. I'm pretty sure that dismantling um, voting is going to happen pretty soon. Uh, Trump has said on numerous occasions that he wouldn't be surprised if he was president forever. He also has said he won't accept the results of the election. So it's pretty clear that he has no respect for voting, which means that we need to have respect for it. We need to go out and vote, if nothing else, than to uphold her legacy because she spent and dedicated 87 years to building a world in which, you know, our rights matter, our voices matter, and the things that we can do within our lives matter. I mean, if I had been born before Ruth Bader Ginsburg, I would be unable to co-sign a loan on a house. I w- or, I'm sorry, I would be unable to sign a loan on a house. Ruth Bader Ginsburg made it so my husband doesn't have to co-sign. I would be unable to have a job if I was pregnant or had kids. That would make me unhirable. You know, those are things. I know Kevin's going to dive into it, but uh, if I had no, been... Some of those are unique, so feel yeah, free to continue. Um, same with, I mean, even opening a bank account. I couldn't do that in my own name by myself uh, without Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, she has fought in big and small ways to make huge differences in our life that we don't even realize that we can attribute to her. Um, And if I had been born before her, again, I would have virtually no right to exist outside of a man. Um, And so, I mean, thank you to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And um, another important thing is that she's Jewish, and so saying things like rest in peace and stuff are for Christian 
people uh, primarily. Um, so the best way really to honor a Jewish person uh, from what I've been reading is just to say, may her memory be honored. And we can do that. We can do that by voting and by, you know, not letting a new justice be appointed, being outspoken, being heard, and fighting for what's right, just like she did. I'm glad that Megan brought that up. All, you know, in the same way that you can attribute a lot of the um, former uh, civil rights movements for colored people to people like Rosa Parks, you know, the same thing for women's rights and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, I, I'm going to be diving in a little bit later into a lot of the accomplishments and a lot of the um, things that she specifically made happen almost herself, you know, with, without any uh, other assistance. It's incredible. But, uh, you know, aside from that, she was a part, she was a massive part of an even larger movement. And she, like Megan said, she made a lot of things happen uh, for women and disenfranchised groups uh, nationwide. So um, I just wanted to bring this up as uh, this is one of my favorite quotes. I shared it to my story earlier because I just think that this really, like, epitomizes what Ruth Bader Ginsburg was here for. Um, she said, when sometimes I'm asked, when will there be enough women on the Supreme Court? And I say, when there are nine, people are shocked. But there have been nine men, and nobody's ever raised a question about that. Um, so she worked extremely, extremely hard. She thought about things in progressive but not radical ways, but she was also unafraid to call bullshit where she saw it and fight for that and fight against that. And... I mean, Kevin's right, a lot of times by herself. She was only the second woman justice ever, ever um, appointed to the Supreme Court. And to this date, there has only been four. So she was the second of four, and the Supreme Court has been around for way longer than that. There's been nine men way longer. Um, and so... She did a lot of very, very important work, and I'm going to let Kevin take it over now. I just believe so strongly in this woman. Uh, I think that what I really want to accomplish here today is just to honor who she was. Uh, and hopefully for all the people that don't know a lot about her or maybe have just been like hearing the name but not really dived into her history, provide you like a good, succinct, interesting history of who she was uh, because... As I read more, I was more and more interested, and I did not expect to be as thorough as I was with this research. I thought it was going to be a lot more high level, but I got very interested, especially in some of the cases that she was a part of. Uh, and I think that you guys are gonna you guys are gonna find this to be a fun one. Uh, I definitely want to show first the history and the background of her. You know, the the one that shaped the art Ruth Bader Ginsburg we know and love today. Uh, and I'll also have some timestamps of historical events that were happening in her life for reference. So start from the top. Joan Ruth Bader was born March 15, 1933, in the borough of Brooklyn in New York City, specifically in Flatbush. Uh, she was born in the thick of the Great Depression, uh, as it started, you know, beginning of the 30s, 1929, I believe. Uh, but also the same year FDR became president and introduced the New Deal proposals. So... That's fun, and I like to believe that that is some kismet right there. Um, her older sister, Marilyn, nicknamed her Kiki for being uh, a kicky baby. Ha <laughs> 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 ha! Marilyn died at age six of meningitis. Uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's sad. Marilyn did die at age six of meningitis uh, when Joan was just over a year old. 
uh, when Kiki started school, there were several other girls named Joan. So her parents suggested the teachers call her Ruth to avoid confusion. So mm. I'll start calling her Ruth now for clarity's purposes. Uh, Ruth or Kiki. <laughs> or Kiki, because she was Kiki. If it wasn't known to everybody by now, uh, RBG is of Jewish descent, and her upbringing mirrored that. She learned Hebrew when she was young, and she was even camp rabbi at age 13 at her summer camp. You know, that's one thing that I've always appreciated about Judaism, is that women are just as able to be, like, rabbis and really? hold positions in the church um, as men are. Uh, and it's always 1946, been... she was camp yeah. rabbi. And... Yeah, that, that's a nice thing about Judaism, like, whereas, I mean, even, like, a church that I went to back home, not even referring to more Mormonism, I'm talking just a non-denominational uh, Christian, um, women were not allowed to be pastors, they weren't allowed to be deacons, and it just was so odd to me because it was like, that's so outdated. Like, it's, what, 2012, 2013? Like, shouldn't we be beyond that? Like, and this is in Colorado that isn't, like, overly any one type of way. Mm -hmm. So it just, I've always appreciated that about Judaism. Yeah, and I think that that is mirrored a little bit uh, with her mom. So Celia is her name, her mother. Uh, she took an active role in her daughter's education, often taking her to the library. Celia had been a good student in her youth, graduating from high school at age 15. Wow. Yet she could not further her own education because her family instead chose to send her brother to college. So Celia wanted her daughter to get more education, which she thought would allow Ruth to become a high school history teacher. So little did little she know. Little did she know how fucking boss ass bitch she was going to be in enabling Ruth to be amazing. True. And unfortunately, she would never know because she died the day before Ruth's graduation due to yeah, cancer. But I would like to think that there is still... Like, I don't know, I don't believe heaven, hell, any of that, but I would like to think that she definitely still knows. I don't think mm -hmm. that we ever want to think that the people have passed just, like... They're just gone forever. Yeah, they're yeah. just gone and what, don't know. Like, I don't think that's true. I think she probably knows. Yeah, Celia was a badass, too. I mean, you have to imagine she was one of the first, like, pushers for Ruth to be, you know, a, a activist, a feminist, somebody that basically knows their own value as a woman. Mm-hmm. So... That's cool. Uh, Ruth attended Cornell after her graduation, where she met Martin D. Ginsburg. Some foreshadowing. Boy, I wonder right who there. that Ooh. is. Ooh. <laughs> uh, and graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in government. Mm. They married a month after graduating and moved to Oklahoma because Marty was stationed as an ROTC. Ruth worked for the Social Security Administration, which character is already showing a little mm -hmm. bit there, uh, and had her first child the following year. 1955. Uh, one year after that, she enrolled at Harvard Law School, where she was one of nine total women in a class of 500 men. What? What the shit? There's a trailblazer right there. Did you know that Hillary Clinton was also that way? That while she was taking the law exam test, literally men were like telling her, like, hey, if you get in and I don't, it's because you took my spot. Like, and then they were saying, if I get drafted because you get into school and I don't, then, like, I'm going to die and you're the person that made sure I died. Like, while she was taking her entrance exam to get into law school. 
for Hillary Clinton because that was in the Vietnam War what time. The fuck? Isn't that crazy? That's um, and for the first keep that in mind for a later thing with with Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that Hillary Clinton is perfect, but I am saying the amount of adversity that women ahead of me have had to overcome just so that way I can like fucking breathe sometimes is incredible and not to be overlooked. And I think that there's a lot of history that unless you really make a point to go look at it, you don't know. Um, But Hillary Clinton and Ruth Bader Ginsburg are both women who have done a lot of paving the the way for us. So we're in 1956 now, uh, where she's at Harvard Law School. The dean of Harvard Law reportedly invited all the new female law students to dinner at his family home and asked the female law students, including Ginsburg, why are you at Harvard Law School taking the place of a man? What the fuck is what Kevin has in parentheses? He literally has what the fuck written. Yeah. Um, but I, thinking about this now, uh, a little bit later, I find out who the next dean of Harvard Law is, and he is cool. So, Is it her husband? No. Uh, Marty took but, a job. <laughs> I was just going to say, props to her husband, though, for being, you know... Um, like, not a dick in a time where it was so socially acceptable to be a dick. You yeah. could say anything you fucking wanted to a woman's face. It did not matter. There was no shame about it. Nobody was going to be like, hey, that's fucked that you just said that. Nobody would say anything about it. This is also an argument that, like, couples would have nowadays. Like, she mm. has a kid that's one year old. He's got a, a job slash stationed, you know, as an ROTC in Oklahoma, and she wants to go to law school, and they have yeah. a kid that's one year old, and he's totally supportive of that, so... Um, that's pretty cool. So Marty took a job in NYC um, sometime, I believe, that year in 1956. So Ruth transferred to Columbia Law and became the first woman to be on two major law reviews, Harvard Law Review and Columbia Law Review. Amazing. So for time of reference, she was attending college when the space race of the Cold War began. Yeah. Mm. Uh, in 1959, she earned her degree and tied for first in her class. And that's the same year that Alaska and Hawaii officially became states. Wow. Which is two years before Obama was born. So if you want to do some birth certificate stuff there, Hawaii was a state. He was born in Hawaii. <laughs> Never mind. Um, I also think, though, uh, that that immense amount of adversity made them have to be the best. They had to be, because if they were anything other than, yeah. nobody would mm. nobody would even I mean, see them. Is, we see what happens when you pick mediocre people and you fill the fucking brackets with them, mm. you know? Yeah. And that's the reason the world is the way it is today. It's because yeah. of mediocre people. Or less than mediocre people, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, half yeah. the people yeah. are less than mediocre. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at the start of her career, right after she graduated college, she was having trouble finding employment. Mm. The first year out of school, she was rejected for a clerkship position under Supreme Court Justice, hilarious, Felix Frankfurter, which is even funnier, uh, <laughs> due to his gender. Due to her gender. Due to her gender. I don't know why I said his gender. Well, because well, due to his man. gender, too. Yeah. Was a dick. <laughs> We're going to be real. That's yeah. really what it was. It was the gender yeah. difference. Um, the man's name is Frank Furter. So I have a hard time taking him seriously to begin with. Uh, you want to go see Justice Frank Furter? <laughs> so this was after a strong recommendation from one of Ginsburg's former professors at Harvard Law, Albert Sachs, who later became the dean. Mm. So he was one of the people that pushed for Ginsburg to like be uh, as a, a clerk for the Supreme Court Justice. Mm-hmm. So then Columbia Law Professor Gerald Gunther also pushed for Judge Edmund L. Palmieri of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York 
a lot, uh, to hire Ginsburg as a law clerk, threatening to never recommend another Columbia student to Palmieri if he did not give Ginsburg the opportunity, and guaranteeing to provide the judge with a replacement clerk should Ginsburg not succeed. So obviously she got that job. And that's this guy's a fucking G. Yo, that's some, like, that, OG right there. But also think about the fact that a man had to basically threaten and, yeah. like, not necessarily blackmail, but threaten the livelihood of another man in order for her to even be given a chance. Yeah. Isn't that just mind-blowingly stupid? Yeah. yeah. Like, dumb. And that wasn't that long ago that that's the way that, like, things were. It wasn't. I'm just glad that there were people around like him to give. Not enough. Yeah. Otherwise, I think the world would there be There should a have lot been a lot more. Yeah. Better. There. She attended Harvard Law for like less than a year, had one of the professors there give her a strong recommendation, get shot down because of her gender. Then the other school that she went to also had a professor that vouched for her so hard that like he yeah. was putting his reputation on the line for it. Mm-hmm. Rightfully so. I mean, awesome of him to do. Uh, and finally she got a job, so. Pushing, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, imagine how long, like, of being overlooked and not seen and having to really fight and claw how good it must have felt to be seen by somebody and have that person be like, fuck you, that's unacceptable. This person, I know this person, Mm -hmm. and I support this person, and you need to do the same. Like, just, like, probably, like, the first in well hopefully a series of but the first like actual show of support you don't cheat off my paper it's got to be a surprise oh i'm just reading along with you i know sorry baby no i'm just joking uh, i'm so, a few paragraphs ahead oh fantastic <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kidding reading it upside down get to the good stuff um, yeah. Moving, it's all the good stuff. I was about to say, the whole thing. That's true. So, yeah. so moving forward just a little bit, um, while she held that job, she was also a research associate and then an associate director of the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure. So she learned, uh, she actually learned Swedish to co-author a book on civil procedure while she's in Sweden, uh, where the country said that or where the country, she said, influenced her thinking on gender equality. And this is in the early 60s by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, Sweden is doing, like, some good shit. They've got, like, I think it's, like, 25% of their law students are women um, Mm -hmm. back in the 60s, which is nuts. I mean, that's not even the case today in America, I'm pretty sure. Like, I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure it's less than 30%. Um, But, yeah, so, so that, I mean, she only held the job for two years, and this, you know, this was over, like, basically a two-year period from 1960 to 1962. So she had her clerk job for that amount of time, and then she was a professor at Rutgers Law in 1963, which is the year of the Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. Just another reference point for you. Uh, they paid her less than her male colleagues, and she was one of less than 20 total female law professors in the U.S., uh, so while there, she co-founded the Women's Rights Law Reporter, which was the first law journal in the U.S. exclusively about women's women's rights. Mm. Uh, this period of time is also ve- very heavy on these civil rights acts that are being passed. Mm. Like I think the Voters Right Act, Voter Rights Act, is being yeah. passed around this time. Um, so she had that job for nine years at Rutgers Law, and then wow. in 1972 which, by the way, is the year of the Watergate scandal with Nixon. Mm -hmm. Uh, She began teaching at Columbia Law and co-authored the first law school casebook on sex discrimination. Uh, A lot of firsts for this lady already. (laughs) We haven't even gotten to her on, like, Supreme Court. She's on, like, a war path, to be honest. From, like, a very young age. It's a war worth fighting. Yeah. She's been doing so much. That's why I say HBIC. You know, I... 
I'm sorry, but I keep thinking about all of the dumb people that say the world used to be better. And I'm like, dude, there is no way that the world, maybe for you it was better, but for everyone else it was way worse. That's a, the thing I and, don't get about the make America great again. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, when was it great? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Define great. great. You mean like great for straight white men? There, it yeah. still is pretty great for you guys. So it was like, for let's not rich straight white men. Mm, yeah. mm-hmm. The people who do vote that are still going to be yeah. poor and are yeah. only going to get more and more, or, or we're only going to get poorer because of this administration. I, yeah. I it's unfathomable that people don't recognize that. It reminds me. People of the, think it's like, oh, I'm gonna be the next millionaire. Oh, this is gonna be me. I'm gonna be the next billionaire. Yeah. I'm gonna be in the top brackets. So I don't want him to get taxed because if I ever get there, I'm gonna get taxed. And it's it's, it's some it's unfathomable some to me. Keynesian capitalistic mental gymnastics that they do. Dude, doing. this is some bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's yeah. crazy. That's one thing that I also don't get about, like, the, the immigrants are taking all of our jobs. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, is there an immigrant CEO that you have a problem with? Is there an immigrant, like, what, ta- lawyer that you have a problem with? An immigrant doctor that yeah. you have a problem with? Like, I mean, most immigrants take a pretty bottom-of-the-barrel job that no... Yeah air quotes, American who, you know, thinks the immigrants are taking all of our jobs. They do the things that those guys would not be caught dead doing. Do you yeah, want to go? they're way better at doing it, Oh, too. my God, way better. And truthfully, like, that is not a... I am not intending to, like, speak poorly of immigrants or the types of jobs that they take. I'm just saying that it's so weird to me, the whole they're taking our jobs yeah. mentality, because it's like... Sorry, so what job do you want that an immigrant is There's currently so holding? Like, like yeah, why can't that, you, you know? just work harder? Mm. I mean, this And also, do you really think you're going to be a CEO? If an immigrant gets to be a CEO, fucking power to them. Yeah. Like, they work their way there, you know? I just think it's so, like, it's such weird... We're deviating from the point, yeah. but... Well, I was just going to say, it reminds me of the Bo Burnham quote from the song, you know, uh, Straight White Men. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to have all the money and land, and we now we still do, but it's not as fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was fighting against all that from mm-hmm. day one. I mean, mm-hmm. Bernie Sanders, same way, but maybe another episode we'll, we'll do some Bernie talk. Um, so, when she, what was I, I was saying that she was... Um, Teaching at Columbia Law, co-authored the first law school casebook on sex discrimination. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same year, she also co-founded the Women's Rights Project at the ACLU. So, oh wow, and this is that like is huge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is that is huge. She's just kind of going at it. Yeah, because ACLU is a still around a very like, she's paving the road. No matter which mm-hmm. place she goes to, yeah. she's like, listen, I'm gonna pave the way. I'm yeah. gonna make life better for other people. I am going to she's call new. out bullshit where I see it. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as the director for this project, she argued six gender discrimination cases before the Supreme Court as the attorney uh, between 1973 and 1976. So six cases within a three-year span, uh, and she won five of them. Uh, quote, she chose plaintiffs carefully, at time picking male plaintiffs to demonstrate that gender discrimination was harmful to both men and women. She's a national treasure. She's like, God <laughs> damn. Amazing. She's the type of people her. I'm gonna start crying again because it does just feel like such a massive loss. 
So she did that for a while, being a professor and a high-level attorney, until 1980, where she was appointed to the U.S. Court of Appeals of D.C., uh, which is the most important of the 13 Court of Appeals because it includes jurisdiction over Congress and other government agencies. It's basically the one court right below the Supreme Court. Mm. Uh, a lot of Supreme Court justices are picked from people that were on the Court of Appeals for mm. D.C. Good. for that reason. Uh, and this is one year before Sandra Day O'Connor was the first woman on the U.S. Supreme Court. She was brought onto the Court of Appeals. Uh, there isn't much on her time in the Court of Appeals. I tried to research a lot, uh, except people heralded her as a cautious jurist uh, and a moderate, which is probably the route that you want to lead if you want to make it to the Supreme Court. Um, this is also an interesting quote by Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I have to look it up really quickly, but what you just said reminded me. Mm -hmm. um, she said... Uh, I have to find it. Sorry. I know it's on my story, so I meant to save it, but I feel bad that I'm using all of these art things. Oh, yeah. Fight for the things that you care about, but do it in a way that will lead others to join you. Yeah. Yeah. Do it in a respectable way. Do mm -hmm. it in a way that inspires others, mm -hmm. not scares others or anything like that. So I think that it was really smart to... If that was her goal to make it at the Supreme Court, which I like to believe it was, I think it's smart to hold herself as a, a moderate, hold herself as a, a, you know, being cautious and a little bit reserved and, you know, trying not to push her viewpoints along too far, which is what you want to do on the Supreme Court, too, by the way. You don't need to be a biased uh, person on the Supreme Court. And up until recently, a lot of the Supreme Court justices uh, I would say, you know, there's a good majority of them that are, that will sway one way or the other pretty heavily and stick to it but there i mean there's at least one swing person mm -hmm. on uh the supreme court any given year that the supreme court's justices are you know seated so people I, I think that for the most part there are a good selection of people on the supreme court but mm -hmm. it's being swayed pretty heavily i mean trump's already gotten to appoint two people to the supreme court and we already saw what happened with brent kavanaugh who has his shit um but that's a different story as well um she was on the court of appeals for 13 years before she was appointed to the supreme court by clinton on august 9th 1993 which is three days after michael was born that is three days after michael was born our michael right here what's up okay. yep uh, so history for, right there. <laughs> so history. That's the best historical landmark I could find for that time period. I like it. Um, <laughs> so for her early years on the Supreme Court, she was referred to as a rational minimalist, which basically is a jurist who wants to build cautiously on precedent rather than pushing toward her own view. You know, what a novel concept that is. Yeah, respecting <sighs> instead of saying like, hey, we're just going to completely Godzilla through everything you've worked really hard to build. How mm -hmm. about we look at the past and we look at the future and decide the best route to get there, building on yeah. what has been built before. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. So this is the early years. Thought? I know. Who would have thought? Between like 93 and 2006, she was, this was kind of how she was. She was like, stay in the course, you know, during this, by the way, by the way, was around the time she was first diagnosed with colon cancer, which was in 99. Oh, wow. Um, anyway, she was very measured while fighting the good fight still, uh, voting for gender equality and the like. Then everything changed when Sandra Day O'Connor retired. So in 2006, O'Connor left RBG as the only woman on the court. That following year, the 2006 to 2007 term, was referred to as the time that she found her voice and used it. 
Notably, uh, it was the first time Ginsburg read multiple dissents from the bench, which was uh, incredibly infrequent at the time, and usually dissents are just written into the presidential report on the case. Uh, whenever you disagree with the court ruling, you'd write for the minority vote, whatever that is, you know, one to f uh, four justices would write up a dissent report, and it would go into the presidential uh, report. And so uh, reading it from the bench is kind of a way to disagree more vehemently with the majority ruling on a case. So this is when Ruth Bader Ginsburg started to speak up hardcore. And became uh, known for I dissent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so... You, and usually it's out of passion uh, and to show like really intense disagreement. So in 2007, just as an example, she dissented on a 5-4 decision in a gender discrimination case, uh, Ledbetter versus Goodyear. So this is a, a huge case for, uh, for the reason at the end of this, what happened. But it was a pay discrimination case where Ledbetter was claiming her pay issued to her on the time of hire is discriminatory. Um, Ledbetter was a female. This, unfortunately, was deemed outside of the statute of limitations for charges of 180 days via Title VII, since the pay given was determined outside of that range. So I did a lot of research on this case and learned a lot about it because I was a little bit confused. But they basically said uh, Ledbetter had put through uh, a lawsuit saying that they brought her on under discriminatory uh, pay and that other people, like the pay discrepancy was too large. However, the statute of limitations said that it's not each paycheck that is being discriminatory against you, it was the original uh, amount that they chose to give you, and oh, that's, that's past bullshit. 180 days, right? Oh, that is a technicality right there. So, okay, and I'll explain briefly. Uh, the, court, the Supreme Court rules on a couple of different types of cases. Well, a few, I think, but the main two that I can think of are statutory cases, which are ones that are more about, like, the... Uh, intricacies of the law, like what, how the law is actually yeah. actually reads, and then there's constitutional. Um, uh, man, I, I wrote it down somewhere, but constitutional interpretation. So that's the ones yeah. we're more familiar with. Um, like basically, how should the constitution be interpreted to determine this case? So this one was based off of statutes that already existed, and the Supreme Court was determining, uh, like within these statutes, does this make sense? And unfortunately, it did at the time. Um, which I don't totally disagree with, like that existing. I disagree with the principle of it, but that's why Ginsburg, you know, argue, argued against it. Uh, she dissented, and she's argued against applying the 180-day statute to pay discrimination since the discrimination occurs in small increments over large periods of time, arguing that's different from adverse actions like termination. Uh, you may not notice a pay discrepancy until more than 180 days of the pay set, uh, which is what happened for most women is, yeah. you know, back mm -hmm. then, especially you weren't, it was uh, illegal for most companies, at least to have people discuss their pay with others. Which also, by the way, if anybody, if any bosses or anything ever tell you that, that is not true. Yeah. It's not illegal to discuss your pay mm -hmm. and you should be talking about it with your coworkers because that is an old fashioned mindset mm -hmm. and an old fashioned way for like pay discrimination to take place is if you know you're discussing your wages and somebody finds out that even with more qualifications they make a lot less then there's very few reasons um, that that could be taking place so that is an outdated thing mm -hmm. and that is not true do talk about your pay with people around you because I mean you don't have to like do it to brag or to flaunt um, 
but uh, that is not true, and it is a form of controlling, I guess, your awareness mm-hmm. yeah. and your knowledge around what you're being paid. Yeah, and so the statute that was really argued here is, is it discriminatory on each paycheck since the pay was determined and is continuously being uh, reinforced every paycheck, or is it only discriminatory uh, on the time of the pay being, like, given. So unfortunately, they ruled that it's only about the time pay pay being given. Uh, So aside from what I already said, uh, Ginsburg had a lot of other small, compelling arguments that backed her reasoning for dissenting, and it was really badass. Uh, As part of her dissent, Ginsburg called on Congress to amend Title VII to undo the court's decision with legislation. And in 2009, the Fair Pay Act under Obama was passed, which resets the statute of limitation with every paycheck that's issued. Mm. So it mm. totally reverses something like this. It's it's in exactly what needed to happen. That's actually impressive. Yeah, amazing. Mm-hmm. And also that she remembered that that was one of her notable cases and waited until somebody was ready to push through something like that because uh, she didn't see this case in Obama's administration. It was in Bush's, Bush's, wasn't it? She saw it before, and she didn't... I mean, I'm sure she asked Bush, but she waited, and she remembered that this was an issue that needed to be addressed. She put it in her dissent and read it aloud in the Mm -hmm. court while the case was happening with Bush. So she did call on Congress during the dissent. Okay. uh, But obviously they're not going to do anything. They, They tried to pass the Fair Pay Act before Obama was... Uh, in office, and a lot of people blamed Bush's backing of the Republican majority in mm. the in Congress, somewhere in Congress, uh, that I think was Senate, that caused this to be shut down. And mm-hmm. then once Obama was in office, um, they were able to push it through. So uh, she didn't give up, definitely, on that. Yeah. So I'm glad that, and I'm glad whoever was in Congress at the time that was um, heading up the, the, the legislation being pushed through kept pushing at it. I don't know who that was. I sh- should have probably checked. But... This, uh, 2009, whenever that Fair Pay Act was passed, it was also the year she underwent surgery for pancreatic cancer, 10 years after her first fight with colon cancer. So she's been through some shit. Which, I mean, her mom also passed away from cancer, so, I mean, cancer is hereditary for the most part, so Mm -hmm. it's unfortunate. She was uh, very consistent in supporting abortion rights across multiple cases during her seating, helping to strike down offensive cases when able and dissenting on cases when she was in the minority ruling. Same goes for LGBT rights issues, search and seizure cases, and racially discriminatory cases when presented. Um, She was a hero of the Supreme Court for women and disenfranchised groups everywhere. She was commended by her colleagues, even of the opposing side, for her upstanding character and activism. Antonin Scalia, a notably conservative-leaning former justice, even said, she became, this is a quote, she became the leading and very successful litigator on behalf of women's rights, the Thurgood Marshall of that cause, so to speak. And Thurgood Marshall was a similar position, uh, U.S. attorney that was really influential for the civil rights movement for colored Mm -hmm. people. Um, Scalia, by the way, was that conservative-leaning justice was really good friends with Ginsburg. They had very different opinions on some things, but they would often go to, like, the opera together and hang out, and that was really cool. But he's a, one of the big reasons the immediate replacement of RGB spot on the court is such a big deal, because uh, his death in 2016, it was February of 2016, um, caused, you know, people to say, let's replace the seat under Obama's term, and... Mitch McConnell and the Republican majority in the Senate said, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that during an election year. Oh, that shit better happen 
live right the fuck now. That's kind of the thing that everybody's so saying. That? We're weeks that away. Mitch McConnell literally controls whether or not somebody gets put to a vote. Yes. But the Senate has 48 Democratic and 52. 47 so Democratic. So we, we just need four GOP people, um, Senate members, to say fuck that. We don't That's confirm. So they haven't said who the nominee is going to be, but it only takes Mitch McConnell to put the nominee to a vote on the congressional floor. Uh, yeah. So they can't stop that. All they can do is vote against, mm-hmm. you know, nomin or making that person appointed. So we, like we said, forty-seven Democrats, assuming they all vote correctly, um, and then we just need four GOP members to make the fifty-one majority. Fingers crossed on that. That's one, one of those like. It, the GOP only cares about, like, the rules when the rules benefit the GOP. Yeah, I mean... Like, it was so important for them to enforce, enforce in 2016, and now it's like, well, actually, you know, yeah. basically Mitch McConnell said, because the American people have chosen correctly and that there's, like, a Republican Congress and everything, and then it's fine because the American people have used their voice to choose correctly, as deemed by him, uh, a.k.a. God, Jesus Christ. I don't know who he thinks he is to decide what's correct versus what's not, but he apparently decided that before the American people had chosen incorrectly and that's why he wouldn't let it go through but this time they've chosen correctly and so now you know him jesus christ uh is able to you know in good conscience let another nominee come through mm-hmm. isn't that ridiculous isn't that some bullshit that is some bullshit yeah so specifically what happened in 2016 as Mitch mcconnell said we can't have somebody Uh, being appointed during election year, even though that had happened, by the way, in the past plenty of times. So he was able to stall it out from February of Obama's final year in in office all the way through to the final... you know Trump's administration, and now this has happened in mid-September, and he not within. I think it was like within three or four hours of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death being announced, he already said that he will next. I think it's like next week he will be putting somebody on the congressional floor for a vote for confirmation. Like, what a fucking vile human. That I mean, is. And this is why it's important to vote and dethrone these human shitbags. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. I'm totally fine disagreeing with people on politics, but literally putting walking, talking bags of shit uh, at a podium, giving them a mic, you know, letting them control important votes and important information. And that is why our votes matter, because honestly, think about how much less power Trump would have if Mitch McConnell wasn't his bitch, you know, like, and that's the way it's supposed to be. That's checks and balances. You can't even say that that's biased against Trump, because truthfully, Trump isn't supposed to have as much power as he does. He only has as much power because there's no checks and balances. There is just yes, sir, absolutely, we're going to put somebody up. Like, I'm your bitch. Go ahead and give it to me in the ass. Like, (laughs) Mitch McConnell is his fucking bitch, and that's not the way checks and balances is supposed to work. And that's what our founding fathers said. 
And so that's using that nice, you know, Republican logic, because I believe in that. Checks and balances is a good idea. Um, somebody who, you know, takes it up the ass for Trump is not a good idea. So vote and dethrone this motherfucker. It's true. Um, going back a little bit to Ruth Bader Ginsburg on this part. Oh, she, sorry. No, no, no. It's not <laughs> sorry. Um, she's, uh, this is relevant. She said, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the exact quote, but basically she said her final request uh, as she lies on her deathbed is that uh, they don't replace her seat until the next uh until after the next presidential election or something like that, until the next president is in office. Um, like, this is something that she said two days ago. Like, she was lying on her deathbed, and that's one of the things that she thought to put out. Uh, she talked it to her granddaughter, but... the thing that she thought to put out. This woman wanted to make sure that the world that she was leaving was going to be okay. From life that, to death, like, dude. literally, she has held so much responsibility and I even feel bad for being as emotionally involved as I am because yes, I'm sad about Ruth Bader Ginsburg passing, but I also am extremely terrified for the future. And what a huge weight that I have put on Ruth Bader Ginsburg to carry. You know, that once she's gone and no longer able to carry that weight, I feel devastated because she's no longer there to carry that weight when I shouldn't that shouldn't be hers to begin with. It should be distributed yeah. across all of us. We should all have the weight of doing the right thing. And I think that for her, her dying words are a testament that she knew the weight that she carried. She knew how much she meant to disenfranchise groups. She knew what she stood for and that she needed to know that going forward... She needed us to know that she was going to do everything she could, even not being here, to make things okay. And that is beautiful and sad and, I mean, so fucking badass all at the same time. I just want to, last thing I'll say about this, you know, seat, this Supreme Court seat controversy. I just love the juxtaposition of the issue that happened with Scalia when he had a heart attack in 2016 and how the, you know, the Congress handled it and the Republican majority handled it versus Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death in September of uh, this year, 2020. I mean, Scalia and Ginsburg were such good friends. They, mm. I mean, they, they had different opinions and they had their own differences, but they were, they were friends. They hung out, they, you know, shared interests and they talked very highly of each other. Um, and just to see that the two respectable people on both sides of the spectrum are like the situation that's happening because of both of their deaths is just just sickening. AKA they're both being shit on by Mitch McConnell. Scalia was shit on by Mitch McConnell. Ruth Bader Ginsburg is being shit on by Mitch McConnell. I mean, he can't do anything else. He's literally a Democrat. No, no, he was a Republican. But they gladly shit on him as well because it's not about party alliances. It's about the fact that you're literally a walking bag of shit. You have nothing I mean, else to give people except for shit. We figured out that these guys are walking bags of shit. So now it's just to figure out, are they actually going to, like, pretty much follow this dying woman's last, like, no, they won't. No, they, they, no, Mitch McConnell came out literally within hours of her death and said, fuck that yeah. bitch. We're, She's we're dead. We're placing the seat, yeah. He already said no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's not even his fault. Like I said, when you are a walking, talking bag of shit, you have nothing to give it. other people yeah. except for shit. 
Mm-hmm. So, so just throw them in the trash can. That's what we do. Our dog shit all the time. And guess where it goes? The fucking trash can. We don't hand it to other people. But he's decided to make it his life's mission really to hand it to other people. A House and a Senate majority this election year. Yeah. I mean, we'll be able to make some stuff happen if that's the case. But if it's not, mm, it's rough. Again, this is what I say. Even if you don't care about presidents, care about your representatives. Yeah. Care about that stuff because they make big decisions. We need at least two, right? Like, we need some combination of House, Senate, Presidency, and Supreme Court. And right now, we're down three. So, I don't know. It's it's going to be rough. But just let's pull back a little bit. Let's Sorry. honor Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> yes. Because I know that's really what yeah. this is supposed to be about. I don't want to get too deep into the thicket of arguing about the current controversy. Um, some other cool things about Ruth Bader Ginsburg is that she was the first Supreme Court justice to officiate a same-sex wedding. Oh. We love that bitch. Mm-hmm. We love her. Another cool thing, she She's also... Leslie Note of the world. Yeah. yeah. So another cool thing about her is that she spoke with judges and lawmakers in Egypt during the creation of their new constitution in 2012. Because oh. I think in like 2010, they did away with their constitution due to all the shit that's happening over there. Um, so she was talking to some, some lawmakers and people over there in high places, citing the South African constitution as one to look into. Uh, and the U.S. constitution as well, proceeding with caution because the U.S. excluded women and slavery still existed after its inception. So she even kind of dogged, like, she's like, the U.S. Constitution has, like, a lot of good things to look at, principle-wise, but in a lot of the language and shit like that, it's it's not a good one to look at. You sh- she specifically said you should look at uh, take the liberty to look at any and all constitutions created after World War II. Um, yeah, that's beautiful though. That also shows her, um, I guess, diplomacy, and that she was able to like see that there is value to nations outside yeah. her own. Like this nationalism is so dangerous. And seeing inherent value and promise in nations outside of America, I think, is so important. And she proved that she's able to do that, that she's able to say, like, hey, some other places actually do have probably a better constitution to look to because it's more inclusive in its language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what you're talking about, the new constitution was so controversial in Egypt. Like, this is... A country for the past 30 years has been destroyed by, like, you know, like, ignorance and hatred, okay? They, it, they hated it so much that the military leader sponsored a coup, and that government no longer exists that you're talking about. Oh, you're talking about the old constitution? No, 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 no. A very recent one. It happened in 2010. Uh- Oh, okay. No, no, that, the that's, that's, yeah, that's the one that was overthrown that led to this, no. and recreating he, the new he's constitution. He's talking about in 2012. Yeah. I oh. said in 2012, after their constitution had been uh, suspended due to the things that you're talking oh, okay, about, okay, okay. they I were working in 2010. To, no, no, no. Okay, they were working okay. to create a new constitution, which Never I think mind. in 2013 they finally created, and it had a 98.3% approval or something like that. It was nuts. Mm. But that's, that's just, just yeah. to dive a little bit further into how people were upset with the old constitution were happy to bring on a new one. I, I mean, I think it's about time people woke up to shit. Like, we live in a new world. Like, either get with the times or just, like... Get out. You're definitely preaching to the choir here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's not much more. Uh, she was a strong supporter of the Me Too movement. Which everyone should be. Uh, she was reflecting yeah. on her own experiences growing up to, to help sympathize and empathize. Mm-hmm. Um, this 
2018 was the same year that she fell in her office, fracturing three ribs and being hospitalized. Um, she returned to her office the next day to continue work. But her, God damn. But her she CT is. scan. Yo, that is Wait, like, don't get, don't get yeah. too happy about we this. We know. Her CT scan from the prior day showed cancer in her lungs. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing that but she failed to see that, but like... The thing is that she knew she had a limited time and showed up every single fucking day mm-hmm. to work. Uh, like, because she knew, I mean, you see she had multiple different types of cancer, which, to be honest, I was not privy to how many different types. And she knew her parents had it, well, her mom at least. Mm-hmm. She knows it's hereditary. She's a smart woman. I'm not more of a doctor than her. <laughs> um, so she knew she had a limited time and fucking showed up every day to put in work while she was here. Amazing. Yeah. Um, so, unfortunately, due to the the cancer found on her lungs she underwent surgery a month after her falling uh and for the first time in more than 25 years of serving on court she missed an oral argument while she recovered but all seemed okay when in january of this year in 2020 she was announced cancer free but then in may she started undergoing treatment again for a recurrence of cancer she had reiterated her position that she, quote, would remain a member of the court as long as she can do the job full steam. She was still going full steam after all of that. Mm. Unfortunately, the cancer complications were too much, and she died on September 18th, 2020, which for us recording here was yesterday, like we mentioned. She was 87 years old. The notorious RBG, member of the National Women's Hall of Fame, champion of the modern day civil rights movement will always be in our hearts and in our history all we can do is try to fight the same good fight that she fought and do what we can do to build a better future for everybody the last thing i also wanted to touch on um i appreciate you doing this topic and i found this out um that according to jewish teachings a person who dies on on rosh hashanah is i don't know how to pronounce this word, um, so I'm not going to. I'm just going... Probably Tzadik or something like that. Tzadik. Um, a person of great righteousness, a leader and teacher of a generation uh, who was given the full measure of the year because God knows we need them most, uh, so waits until the last moment before calling them home. Um, last night was the beginning of Rosh Hashanah, and so Ruth Bader Ginsburg is... Um, a person who died uh, on Rosh Hashanah, and that seems particularly fitting uh, for a woman who accomplished so much, inspired so many, lived a life of meaning and purpose. Um, we are better for have having or for have have having had her walk among us. Um, so uh, that is that. That is a huge bummer. We love her, and uh, there's definitely. Um, a heavy weight uh, that comes with her her loss, but all we can do, Kevin is exactly right, is work to do the same work that she did. That is literally all we can do. And so, your reminder to vote. Now, now it's our turn to go full steam. It is. Yeah. Just in case, something that Megan and I talked about a little bit, just in case Mitch McConnell does indeed push through and uh, an appointee gets confirmed, 
You should probably start wearing condoms if you aren't already. <laughs> Roe v. Wade is going to be repealed. It's going to be revoked. That's going to be, like, the first thing. And um, for me, a person who, you know, does not want to have children, um, it's terrifying to me that... You know, I mean, birth control, there are a million options out there. It's always safer if you use more than one. Um, condoms are a really easy thing. But don't use more than one condom. No. <laughs> in, in yeah. Use it more than one. Really, like, terrible. <laughs> use more than one method of birth control. Um, so, I mean, I don't need to turn this into a sex ed class, but that's definitely something Kevin's right. That was, like, the first thing I brought <laughs> up. Like, all right, well, we know, we know kind of what the future could look like and why not try and navigate ourselves away yeah. from that. Um, I don't, uh, I, I feel bad that this podcast is so sad, but we need to feel that sadness just for, just for a day. You know, we need to feel how sad it is. I've been crying off and on because, again, I've placed a lot of pressure on Ruth Bader Ginsburg and what she stood for and the ideals. Just knowing that I had somebody who had my back um, on the Supreme Court, uh, and it just really doesn't feel that way anymore. It really does not feel uh, like there is somebody who is representing my interests, um, and that's very difficult. Um, but it's important to let it be sad, feel the gravity, look at what she's led, and take inventory of the loss that we've all suffered so that way we know what standards we need to live up to and the people that we need to be. You don't need to go to law school. You don't need to be a professor. You don't need to be on the Supreme Court. There were things that she bloomed where she was planted. She was consistent and kind and fair no matter what she was doing. Those were the words applied to her throughout her entire life. Um, and we all need to work to be the same in whatever whatever roles and whatever walks of life uh, that we have. You know, 2020 has been like the worst year yeah. ever. This, it, this feels like the cherry on top, but I'm sure there's more sprinkles and toppings to come. I hope not. I don't someday. even want a music someday. outro out. Um, I just want to say thank you for listening. Um, thank you for taking the time to hear about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. We all need to know more about her. Um, and uh, here is to hopefully uh, a better... <laughs> rest of 2020 and if it isn't then you know what we will persevere that's what ruth bader ginsburg did so we will do the same be yourself love yourself and go vote please just don't be yourself if you're a fucking racist bye peace <laughs> the somber note i didn't want a music outro out though i yeah, just don't I just think